Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. So I've really enjoyed our, uh, our King David series. We've talked about a lot of different stories. We've got more today. And then we will, uh, next week, Pastor Holly just said that next week is Freedom Sunday. Excited to have Kevin come and share And I just want to encourage you, make a plan to be here, uh, to hear Kevin share. He's a dynamic speaker, and some of the stories that he has to talk about, what they do and how they do it, are just incredible and inspiring. And uh, so I just want to encourage you, make a plan to be here to hear Kevin. Uh, We also, just a couple other things about that. Uh, Maybe you've seen on our slides, we're actually serving new coffee uh, these last couple of weeks. It's called Freedom Blend Coffee, and it is a coffee that supports Set Free. And so uh, I hope you've liked that. You can purchase that coffee yourself as well. And that went out on the weekly email uh, if you'd like to do that. But it's very good and it's a great way to support uh, Kevin and Set Free. Uh, and then, yeah, Pastor Holly mentioned that we will be taking a, we will be, take, we will be giving to Set Free um, next week. So just really want to encourage you to think about uh, how you might do that and just encourage you to be generous in that work, an important work all over the world. So today we're, gonna, we're jumping back into our King David series, and we're going to talk about a particular relationship that David had with a very important person in the kingdom of Israel. And as we walk through this passage, what I'd like to ask for you to do is to do your best to put yourself into the story, and however the Lord might lead you to do so. We're going to talk about two primary characters, David and this other person, but there's lots of ways that we might be able to enter into the story. And so I encourage you to open your heart to how the Lord might be leading you in that. Today we're going to talk about David and his relationship with a man named Mephibosheth. Say that five times fast. (laughs) I practiced a lot. (laughs) They definitely didn't think about the people who are going to be preaching about this when they gave him his name, right? (laughs) Mephibosheth is, uh, is the son of Jonathan. Okay, Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan, and if you remember, Jonathan was the son of, of, King, of King Saul. Jonathan was one of David's best friends in, earlier in the story. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Well, we actually get to meet Mephibosheth early on in the story, and his story is a tragic one. Very, very difficult. Things did not go well for Mephibosheth from the very beginning moments of his life. So we meet him early in, in, second, in second Samuel chapter 4 is only one verse that introduces us to him. And it's verse 4. So 2 Samuel 4 verse 4, and this is what it says. Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed while in battle. When the child's nurse heard this news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. In some other translations, it says that she fell on him, and he became crippled. Tragic. Tragic in just those few verses. The Philistines had just won this battle. They had just killed Saul and Jonathan. They saw ultimate victory on the horizon. And Usually what happens after you defeat a king of a nation and if you want to take over, one of the things you do is you, you kill the entire family of that king who just died. So usually this defeat in battle would lead to the murder of the rest of Saul's family line. 
And not only that, but at this point in the story, David and his guerrilla group were still out in the wilderness. What would they do? I mean, we know that David had a legitimate claim to the throne, right? Having been anointed by God. But so did Mephibosheth as the grandson of the king, one in the line of King Saul. So what's going to happen? Think about this child's early life in this moment. What would David do? What would the Philistines do? There was nothing standing in the way of either one of these groups just cleaning house and getting rid of all of their perceived rivals, one of those being Mephibosheth. So with all this fear in mind, Mephibosheth's nurse grabbed him, picked him up, and ran. Disaster happens. He was so badly injured that he never recovered. And he was always called the cripple. Because of this, and maybe to remain alive, he went into hiding. He went into hiding and he lived in obscurity, wanting to stay alive and physically lame. Think about how this, how Mephibosheth's life begins. One author I read this week wrote this, Mephibosheth was the only living heir of the once great house of Saul, but nobody knew it because his life would have been in danger if that information was revealed. He grew up with his royal identity suppressed, grew up with all the privileges of royalty denied to him, and both conditions were aggravated by his lameness. None of this was his own fault at the age of five. It had all been done to him, and he was too young to have been responsible for any of it. Sudden, the sudden exile, the terrible fall, the permanent disability, the loss of future. Mephibosheth was a tragic victim. Think about this. <laughs> and I think it gets worse for him. Not to pile on here, but I think it gets worse for him. I can imagine that he grew up in obscurity, hiding, hearing these stories of the former days when his family played not only a significant role, but the most significant role in the country. He probably heard his nurse recounting stories of their prominence and all of that being taken away by this David fellow. I'm guessing that David's name got, got worked into all the stories as the villain responsible for his lot in life. It was because of David that Mephibosheth's father and grandfather had been killed by the Philistines. He stirred him up by fighting that giant Goliath. <laughs> it was because of David that Mephibosheth had the, the uh, accident and a lifelong crippling disability. From the age of five, it's likely that Mephibosheth was trained to look for the cause of all his problems. And that cause looked like the usurping king who now sat on his family's throne David of Bethlehem, the son of Jesse. Have you ever thought about a story like this? This is our introduction to Mephibosheth, all in this one verse. The next time we see Mephibosheth in the story of David, he's an adult. Scripture says he's still crippled. He's severely disabled. He's suffering not only physically, but in spirit as well. You can tell from what's said about him so far. And one day, a messenger finds him, comes to his house, and says, comes to find him because he's been found and he's been summoned to Jerusalem by none other than this King David. Think about what he must have thought in that moment. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, uh, verses 1 through 5, we read this. One day... 
David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Now we don't, now before, you can read on here, but even if you just stop right there, that's kind of a frightening thought. We don't, Mephibosheth doesn't know this at first, but David is curious. Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And he summoned a man named Ziba who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba? The king asked. Yes, sir, I am. Ziba replied. Then the king, the king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. This is an incredible type of thing we'll explore here as we go through. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive. He is crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked, well, he's in low Debar, Ziba told him, at the home of Mikar and Amel. So David sent for him and brought him from Mikar's home. And his name was Mephibosheth, and he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. So Mephibosheth grows up the way he does, and all of a sudden he gets a summons from the king. I bet when he gets this message, he's terrified. Why would David be spending time and resource to find anyone left in Saul's family, to look for Saul's descendants? And why do kings normally do that, right? To wipe out any challenge to the throne. David had suffered so much under Saul, Mephibosheth probably just as soon as, he was, as soon as he was found, was just waiting for his execution. Plus, we know that Mephibosheth, after years of living in a, as an exile and crippled, didn't think much of himself. He even telling David a bit later in the story that he was like a dead dog. Mephibosheth had suffered all his life, and he walks in front of the king. What a moment. And when he, Mephibosheth, came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect, probably just waiting for the axe. And David said, greetings, Mephibosheth. Now this is, maybe makes a lot of sense to us, but this moment right here when he calls him by name is fantastic and unexpected. And it gets better here. What we see here is something so unexpected. It's something that as a follower of Jesus, you and I might recognize but it was not what Mephibosheth thought that he would see. I bet, like I said, he was just waiting for his execution or that moment that he would be taken to jail without even meeting the king. But he goes in front of the king. And how does the king greet him? He calls him by name. He knows who he is. And he gives him identity in that moment, some dignity in that moment. And maybe it starts to, I bet Mephibosheth starts to wonder, oh, this might be a little different than I expect. In 2 Samuel 9, verse 7, David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Don't be afraid. Oh, we, I don't know if you, that, that stirs something in my heart because that phrase, don't be afraid, is a beautiful saying that happens all the time in the Old Testament and even in the Gospels. <laughs> Listen, don't be afraid. Something good is about to happen to you. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness. What? <laughs> what? King David, the villain, the usurper, the one who was searching for Mephibosheth to kill him, started the whole thing off by calling him by name and telling him not to be afraid. Totally unexpected. What Mephibosheth didn't know was that he was standing before a very different kind of king, 
one who is led by a very different kind of king, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of everything, who shaped David's heart and mind and the way that he lived. And we looked at that these last couple of weeks. One commentator I read this week wrote this, the suspicious paranoia that had characterized uh, Mephibosheth's grandfather's reign was absent here. The maniacal jealousies that had infected Saul's court were remote here. David had accomplished a transition from the fragmented and disorderly uh, mess left over from Saul's rule because he's being led by God. Isn't this incredible? We've already talked about the idea a couple weeks ago that David just embodied, he, he uh, embraced and embodied those two calls that the people gave him when they handed him all the power, right? They asked him to be a shepherd-like king, not to use people for his own benefit or to gain more power, but to be a shepherd. And they asked him to be like a prince, one that came from, from them, who knew their heart, who knew their stories, who knew their language, and cared deeply about all of that. I bet Mephibosheth had no idea that years earlier, his father and David made a loving commitment, relational commitment, a covenant together, committing themselves to ongoing and loyal love. And what we're going to see here is this type of kindness and love that's all over this story is a particular kind of love that is often only attributed to God. And it works its way into so many parts of this story. And the question is, how do I embody that same thing? What's fascinating about David and Jonathan's relationship and this relational covenant they make together in this moment is that at that point, neither David nor Jonathan would knew uh, who, which of them would end up being the king of Israel. Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> when they made this commitment together, neither of them knew which one was going to be the king. What they promised was that whatever happened, that love, not power, and not revenge— would characterize their relationship forever. What, what a loving commitment. It's moving. It's inspiring. Let's read it real quick in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 14 through 17. Jonathan is saying to David, And may you treat me with the faithful love of the Lord as long as I live. But if I die, treat my family with this faithful love. Even when the Lord destroys all your enemies from the face of the earth. Wow. This is exactly what happened. So Jonathan made a solemn pact with David saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his vow of friendship again for Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And a few verses later it says, at last Jonathan said to David, go in peace for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left and Jonathan returned to the town. What a moment. David is living into this loving commitment that he promised Jonathan, which now Jonathan is, is dead. He doesn't have to. <laughs> He's got all the power. But he says yes to this type of living. Yes to this type of love. Yes to this type of, of living that out. Maybe in a context which doesn't make sense to all of his advisors and anyone else. David, why are you inviting this guy into your court? Don't be afraid. David said, I intend to show you kindness. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. And then I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat with me at the king's table. Grace upon grace upon grace. 
listen, Mephibosheth, you, didn't, you don't deserve this. You didn't earn it, but I'm going to give you everything. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> it's exactly what Jesus did for you and me. This is exactly the context in which we come to the Lord. Mephibosheth, you've suffered for too long. I'm going to show you something that you might not have had much in your life. I'm going to show you love. This is what characterizes you and me. This is what drives us. This is how we should live. With this same type of love, the question is, are we doing it? Eugene Peterson writes about David in this moment that he put content into the word for love for Mephibosheth. He writes, this is the way that love looks, generous and extravagant, uncalculating. The love that started in the covenant became mature in the search for the long lost heir, the restoration of confiscated lands, the daily hospitality at the royal table. This love uh, wasn't just greeting card statement. It had substance. I love that. (laughs) What does this type of love look like expressed through your life on a daily basis? What kind of substance are you giving to the people around you in love to make a difference for the kingdom of God, to reflect what we have received from Jesus? Eugene Peterson wrote that a primary question that he came out of with this story is what will we choose as the primary navigational means for our life? Power or love? That's a great question, isn't it? We talked last week about, uh, uh, about how we use power and what that looks like a little bit. Remember, we also talked uh, last week about this new covenant, uh, or we talked about this a few weeks ago, this new covenant that Jesus introduced at the Last Supper in the upper room with his disciples. In John 13, 34 through 35, this is what we read. So now I'm giving you a new commandment to love each other just as I have loved you. You should also love each other for love, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is a different type of love than the kind of love that we see in the world around us, right? It's wholly different and it makes significant impact on people's lives. David isn't looking for a replacement here for the exquisite love that he and Jonathan enjoyed for a short time. David's looking to love an enemy. What will we choose as the primary navigational uh, means of our life? Will it be love? What does love look like on a daily basis for your life? We are in a cultural season that has been exce- where it has been exceedingly difficult right? <laughs> and, and where normal practice, our normal practice is to make enemies of people who just simply disagree with us. This is not how we are to live. This is not what we are called to do. And that's why I'm so thankful for stories like this from the life of David, stories like the kind of love that Jesus shows time and time again. David shows Mephibosheth here. What he shows him is, is the, the word that's used is called hesed, and it, it means loyal kindness. Loving kindness is usually how it's translated, but it's a kind of love, like I said, that's often only attributed to God. It's a very large word. We don't actually have a word in our language that's equivalent. Uh, we have to rely on adjectives to qualify and give it a breadth of meaning. So something like steadfast love or loyal love or covenantal love. Uh, 
to understand this type of love, uh, we, we combine it to the ideas of things like affection and intimacy, but also has to include concepts of stability and dependability and, and faithfulness, unwaver, unwavering commitment. It's kind of hard to get a, a concept of that, but this is, what this, this is what it's talking about. This is the kind of love that's all over the story, that's all over the story of Scripture, and that David attempts here as best he can to give to Mephibosheth. We have been created, you and I, in the very image of God. And we are capable of living and loving this way through the power of the Holy Spirit working through us. <laughs> Even though it might seem that we're not very good at it sometimes. And I'm thankful for the Lord's grace and mercy in our life. This is love without regard to shifting circumstances. It's love no matter how we might feel it's the kind of love that's described in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave everything. It's the kind of love that's necessary for you and I as followers of Jesus, and it's a kind of love that our world desperately needs. It's the kind of love that we have received, unmerited, unearned, and never-ending. Thank you, Jesus. David first sought out Mephibosheth, from a position of strength. Spend the resources. Find this person. <laughs> and he used this, this, this moment that started out in power and strength to love generously and covenantally. Uncorrupted love flowed unhindered. Beautiful. David treated Mephibosheth with the love that God had had saved him with, right? The love with which God saves you and me. This should characterize our thinking, our actions, the way we see the world, the way we see people. And if you think about the story of Mephibosheth, I think we can relate in so many areas of the story. I love it so much. But he goes from a crippled outcast, afraid for his life, forgotten and suffering, to one who is given new life, who's given an inheritance, who's loved more than he could ever dreamed more than he could have ever dreamed that's exactly our story isn't it thank you jesus don't be afraid david said i intend to show kindness loving kindness has said kindness to you because of my promise to your father jonathan i will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather saul and you will eat here with me at the king's table and a few verses later mephibosheth had a son, a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. That's a whole other message we could talk about. I actually think it's kind of, it's kind of fun, kind of comical. Poor Ziba and his family and his household. No, it was, it, he, he was a faithful servant of Saul's family anyway. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem, in the capital, where it all happens, and ate regularly the king's table. Wow. Essentially adopted as a son of the king. Will we, what will we choose as the primary navigational means of our life? What will this look like for you today, tomorrow, this next week? How will you live out this kind of love that has been given to you, that you have received, and now as we have been asked to live out uh, toward other people and in the world? You've received the unconditional love of God given to you freely through faith in Jesus. 
How are you passing that on to others? And what will that look like on a daily basis? Worship team, would you come on up? And I just want to end with this last quote uh, from Eugene Peterson who wrote on this chapter as well. And he said, I love this story of David and Mephibosheth because I continue to catch glimpses of it and hear echoes uh, of it in stories in which I have a part. The gospel miracle is that human beings like us from time to time evade the temptations of bitterness and power and actually manage to vulnerably love another person who has all the potential of turning on us and rejecting us. Each time such love is ventured, another piece of the gospel is proclaimed and the kingdom of God is made credible in our world. Isn't that a beautiful way to think about it? That this type of love makes the kingdom of God and the gospel credible to people around us. So I just want to encourage you as we end our our time together this morning, as we sing another song of worship, to just ask the Lord, show me where I have received that type of love and show me how I can live that out in a really significant uh, way on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Be inspired to love like this world has never seen and will make all the difference. Let's pray.